Welcome to the Lord's house, and I pray you're blessed by this time that uh, we'll spend unpacking a bit of the wisdom literature of Solomon. We want to also welcome those of you who are watching online. In fact, I was one of you last weekend. We were out of town for a week. You know, we kind of uh, hold the fort down as the, quote, older guys, you know, who don't have kids in school during the summer so that uh, our younger staff can be with their children while they're out of school. And as soon as those kids go back to school, it's one of the privileges of age. You know, you can go to vacation. There are no kids around, no people around because everybody has to be back in school. So uh, we were gone last week, but we were able to watch online. And that's such a blessing to be able to do that. So we welcome you as well who are watching online today. We're ending our series called Perfect Lies. And we've been talking about what the culture teaches us that is not necessarily true from a basis of Scripture, from a basis of, of being a Christian person. And today we're talking about the importance of relationships. And, and the world will tell you that uh, maybe you're not worthy. In, in fact, voices in your own head, because of human nature, will also diminish your own personal value. So wherein do you find your value, and how important is that, that you would be secure before you establish other significant relationships as well? Uh, I want to pray about this. I, I do think that this is one of those messages I feel a little nervous about because I, I feel inadequate. You know, I, I'm believing the lie myself, you know, that I'm not adequate to properly teach this message because I think this message is more important than maybe I might be able to explain. So listen carefully to God's word, and if I miss a point, maybe, you know, by his spirit, he'll still enable you to take away some truth. Uh, so I want to pray uh, first for my spirit that I be faithful to his word. And also for your spirit that you would not be distracted. Whenever there's an important message, you know, the devil will rush into your head with things that need to be done or, or something that's not right in your life and, and your mind will start spinning and turning and, and you'll walk away saying, what did he just say and was that important anyway? And, and I know how that is. The devil wants to block you from hearing what might be beneficial. So uh, I hope that you'll pray with me as we pray. Gracious Lord, it's your word, it's your truth, it's your value that we want to uh, demonstrate in our life. Certainly to honor you, but your desire is never, you know, that we would do these things simply to bring honor to you. Your name is great without our appreciation, without our acceptance. You desire these things for our sake and for the sake of the influence that you would have us have in the world, that we would be the salt, that we would be the light, that we would be beneficial in our relationships. So bless us as we unpack the wisdom literature of Solomon to better understand uh, the value that we have in life uh, based on our faith. We ask it in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I've been uh, involved in ministry for 35 years. And uh, in the course of 35 years, we conduct funerals. I personally conduct several funerals every month. And, and so literally conducted, you know, hundreds of funerals. And when I sit down with the families and we review the life, because I do believe it's a memorial service, we do want to remember. Now, we want to remember certainly Jesus Christ, that he died for this person. And because of his death and the forgiveness, they have the assurance of eternal life. You know, that's always important. But there are also uniquenesses to every life unique things that need to be remembered and God needs to be given glory for those things and when I sit down with families it's never typically about their achievements in life that would come off as very shallow and insignificant 
the things that they accomplished, not necessarily. In fact, you know, famous people's funerals sometimes slip into that, and I think that's kind of sad if that's all they had in life was what they achieved. Now, when I sit down with people, what they want to remember are the relationships that they had, you know, the kids that they raised or, or the parents that they had and the friendships that they had. And, and when they bring out the pictures to review that life, uh, these are not just pictures of the Rocky Mountains or the Grand Canyon or, uh, you know, some tropical island that they visited. No, they, those aren't the pictures they show me. They show me pictures of family. You know, if they are in exotic places, it's because people are in the pictures that make them valuable, right? And, and so what's most important in life is not your success, degree thereof or, or lack of, it's those who loved you and those that you were privileged to love. It's all about family. In fact, that's the richness of life. And, and so it's an important uh, truth that we're going to be looking at today as, as we understand the value of relationships based on the wisdom literature of Solomon, the wisest man in the world, by a miracle that God granted him in answer to his prayer that he would uh, receive wisdom. We're going to be looking at it from Ecclesiastes 9, beginning at verse 11 in just a moment. Now, as I mentioned, we just got back from vacation. I like to read books. One of the most important books that I've read recently, uh, it was a few years ago, in fact, was John Ortberg's book, When You Talk About Relationships. Uh, this is so true. Uh, his book was called Everybody is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. When you sit down and really get to know somebody, if they're willing to reveal themselves to you, you know this is not a normal person. This person has a bit of dysfunction in their life. And, and I remember a bell went off for me in my life. I don't know what it was. I think probably when I went to college and started living with other people, you know, in dormitories, these, this American custom that we have, you began to think, man, these people are strange. And, and then you move on and you say, now, maybe they're normal, maybe I'm strange, you know, and, and you begin to realize that maybe everything in your upbringing wasn't exactly, you know, on spot. And, and, and so that was a powerful book. I have another book in my library. In fact, I don't like the book at all, but I like the spine of the book. I like the title of the book, so I kept it. Uh, I saw it at a garage sale, so I picked it up. It was called Happiness is a Choice. Now, the book is full of psychobabble, and, and it's, it's, it, there's nothing valuable in the book itself, but I like the title. I think it can be proven biblical, so I, so I kept that book as well. Now, on vacation, Carol likes to sit at the beach. You know, she, every year we have to spend, uh, you know, at least part of our vacation on a beach somewhere. I'm not a beach person. You know, after watching the waves roll in for five minutes, I think you've pretty much seen it all, you know, and... And, and yeah, we're going to spend the day out there. And I thought, wow, I am going to die out here. You know, and uh, now she always allows me to buy a mask and a snorkel so I can go and do something. And, and so enjoy that. And, and we go to this, this island where we, where we go to stay near uh, 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 Clearwater, Florida. We, we go up to Dunedin. And, and from Honeymoon Island, you can take a, a ferry out to an island um, called uh, Candice Island. Is it Candice? It's Candice, isn't it? And, and, and so we go out there, and, and, uh, and we have the opportunity to uh, walk up and down the beach or to read. And, and, and uh, the books that I took down was uh, on Ellis Island and people who came through Ellis Island, and it seemed like one story was the same as the other and one story. And I got kind of bored with it. So where I was staying, these people had books of their own. And so I saw one there that I picked up. In fact, I brought it back with me. I should probably return it after a while. Uh, and, and I also wrote it, and I hope they don't mind. And, and, uh, and, and this book was by Ray Charles Jr. on his father, the famous singer, blind black singer Ray Charles, who was an icon in the music industry. 
And it was interesting from his point of view to talk about his father, his father's childhood, who, who was actually fathered by a man who was married to another woman, and he was fathered by a girl who was only, or mothered by a girl who was only 14 years old, and they actually raised that girl as well as raised him in that culture. And, and, and so this guy tells about his father's upcoming from being extremely uh, dirt poor, uh, and, and his early life in the Chitlin circuit, as he called it, and, and how he came up through that and, and became world famous. And he, and he talks about what it was like to be raised by that man who had 12 children, uh, but his mother only had three of them. And so all kinds of uh, different affairs that he had and how destructive that was of his life and the drug addiction of his father. And, and it's kind of interesting. And the book was called You Don't Know Me. And it was based on the life of his father. You know, it came out of his father's heart. You don't know me. It's one of his songs. And Ray Charles Jr. adopted that as kind of the theme for his life, too. You don't know me. You know me as Ray Charles Jr., but you really don't know me. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I've experienced. And I think that's true of most of us. You know, we present a certain person to people, but it's not necessarily what is true about us. We present what we want people to know. It's called being pretentious. Now, I've never been a fan of pretentious people, but uh, pretense has a place in life. Uh, to be pretentious is an attempt to make something uh, that does not appear to be true, or it's a claim to be something you are not. And a lot of people do that. You know, I, I think, well, that's what they want me to believe about themselves, but, you know, everybody's normal until you get to know them. That's probably not the reality of the situation. But pretense, I've come to believe, actually helps the world move. It, pretense is really the... Uh, uh, the oil that keeps the gears of life turning. For instance, if I were to meet you in the hallway and I was headed this way and you were headed that way, I'd say, hey, how are you? What would you say? I'm fine. I'm fine. In, in fact, you may not be fine. And if I said, no, really, how are you? You'd say, hey, it's all good. It's all good. When in fact, it may not all be good. You know, it's just the level of a relationship that, that we maintain in life. Or if I were to say, uh, uh, in answer to my wife, how was the dinner? I would say, it was delicious. <laughs> you know, mostly they are, but even if it wasn't, it was delicious. Or, or how about when you show up late for an appointment and you say, man, I'm sorry I was late. The traffic was brutal. In fact, you just didn't allow enough time and you got there late, but it was the traffic is brutal. And so pretense, you know, sh short circuits a lot of those uh, more in-depth conversations that we might have. Uh, or somebody says, hey, come in and have a drink. You say, okay, but I only have time for just one. You know, four or five drinks later, you know, your spouse is saying, hey, you know, it's time for us to move on. You know, pretense is a way that we get through life. Or, or you have a different uh, coat on or a different blouse on or a different dress on and somebody comments about it. You say, oh, this old thing, I've had it forever. When in fact, you just bought it last week and you were hoping somebody would notice. Or when your spouse tells you, uh, yeah, just give me 10 minutes. I'll be ready in 10 minutes. Just go get the car started. You might as well sit down and watch the last five holes of the PGA event. You know, you're going to probably have more than 10 minutes of time. Or, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, you, you say you called me, but I don't know why. I just never, I never heard it ring when, in fact, you looked at your cell phone and the ID said, you know, it's this person. You say, I don't have time for that conversation. You put it down. Or that email, I never got that email. It must have got caught up in my spam folder, you know. So we all live a bit of a pretentious life. And I think there's uh, reasons for that. There's certain assumptions uh, that we should make about why people are pretentious. 
First of all, people really don't want to know the truth. You know, if you ask how I am and I say, you know, I slept on my pillow bad last night. You know, I got this crook in my neck and, you know, I carried the stress in my shoulder and, and my knees acting up again. You know how I messed that up? I stepped wrong off of a ladder and, and I twisted it. It's never been quite the same. You know, you would say, hey, it's more than I want to know. You know, so, uh, you know, not every relationship needs to go to that depth. Sometimes people really don't care. You know, there's a reason for pretension. People don't care. Like we were on that ferry going from Honeymoon Island out to Candice Island. And across from us sat a lady who obviously had a New York accent. And so uh, it wasn't a crowded ferry because it was the middle of a work week and kids were back in school. And so we struck up a conversation. It was going to be 15, 20-minute boat ride. And we said, so where are you from, New York? And she says, Jersey. And uh, I said, where do you, do you live down here now? Yeah, 10 years. And I said, well, uh, where do you live? And she said, Bradenton, but I hate it here. I hate all my neighbors. You want to know why I hate my neighbors? And she went on and on, and I didn't really care. <laughs> didn't, didn't really care. I, you know, one question was good for the whole 20 minutes, you know, and she went on and on. And, and I think some relationships, you don't need to go that depth, you know. Uh, most relationships are on a need-to-know basis, and mostly you don't need to know all that stuff, nor even want to know it. But then there's another aspect of relationships that we want to talk about today. And that's this lie that the world tells us and that our own human nature tells us is that you are not worthy to be known. That if people really saw the real you, they wouldn't like what they see. And and so uh, we present this facade. We present this uh, obscure and false version of ourselves. Solomon's wisdom on this matter in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 beginning at verse 11 is that your social status should never be allowed to define you. And yet I think that's most common. I think what you've achieved in life, where you live, the address that you have, the kind of clothes that you wear, the kind of car that you drive is ultimately important in American society. In fact, a lot of us get ourselves in trouble. We just had a of Dave Ramsey advertisement about Financial Peace University. I guarantee you, many of you should take that class. I've taken that class. My kids have taken that class. It will transform your lives. You know, it will get you out of that pretentious uh, belief that your social status defines you. I think it's so common in our culture. It's how we judge others. It's how others judge us. And the most dangerous of all is it's also how we judge ourselves. You know, by what we've achieved or what we failed to achieve in life as though that defines us and that determines whether we've had, you know, a good quality life or not. Solomon has a lot to say about that. Let's unpack it. I'm going to read uh, straight through the text and I'm going to come back and make some points and uh, wrap up with some conclusions. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 to 18, circumstance cannot be trusted. Here's how Solomon describes it. I have seen something else under the sun. I like the fact that this is called wisdom literature, not smart literature, not educated literature. There's a difference. I've worked with smart people. I've worked with educated people who are not necessarily wise. Have you done that? Solomon didn't pray to be educated. He didn't pray to be smart. He prayed to be wise. And you see the wisdom coming through. He knows some things in life, but he also knows about life. And it comes through so strong in this text. I have observed some things that maybe you would do well to take note of. The race doesn't always go to the swift. The battle is not to the strong. We see this in athletic contests as well. You know, we say, on a given day, this team will beat that team, but St. Louis can't seem to get past Pittsburgh, and I don't know why that is. 
Are you kidding me? <laughs> Somebody out there loves Pittsburgh. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant. You know, even though they're smart, even though they're wise, you know, they're not having success in life. You know, just to be smart doesn't always work. Or favor go to the learned. And yet we want all of our kids to be learned. We want them to have a good education. Why? Because time and chance happen to them all. Because life happens. You know, and it's not always fair. Moreover, no one knows when life will happen. No one knows you can be on a perfectly good track towards a, a successful life and, and somebody throws a monkey wrench. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your value, your contribution. You get downsized. Your company gets sold. You know, uh, you have a health issue. You have an accident. No one sees it coming. There are a hundred ways in which life can turn on a dime, and it does. It's like fish that are caught in a cruel net. Or birds that are taken in a snare. You know, how many times has that, you know, uh, school of fish swum through, you know, that channel, never disturbed, always knowing there's going to be food there, and suddenly somebody put a net here. Birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped like that by evil times that fall by surprise, unexpectedly upon us. That's the nature of life. It takes those turns. But, Solomon says, you know, despite the fact that life happens and despite that it's unfair, uh, here's something you can count on. I saw something else under the sun. This example of wisdom that greatly impressed me, and, and this is strong for our message today, this is important. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. And a powerful king came against the city to conquer it. He surrounded it, he built a huge siege work against it clearly the city was going to fall to this greater power but now there lived in that city a man who was poor but he was wise maybe that's you you know maybe you don't have the trappings of this world but that doesn't mean you're an idiot you understand how the world works and this man despite the fact that he was not socially acceptable to most of the people in the city because he was poor he nevertheless saved the city through his wisdom but how did that turn out <laughs> When it was all said and done, no one gave him much credit. <laughs> no one really remembered that he had done that. Now, that didn't change the fact that he had done it. It didn't change the fact that he uh, was secure in his own wisdom, but he didn't necessarily get recognized for it. It happens in life. So I said, nevertheless, even though he didn't get recognized, wisdom is still better than strength. Proven. And the poor man's wisdom may be despised. His works may no longer be heeded, but that doesn't mean they're unimportant. For the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than anything else. And what does the Bible say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A right relationship with God is the beginning of your own personal security. But one sinner can still destroy much. I mean, that's just the reality of life. It doesn't make wisdom unimportant but just uh, check yourself, measure your expectations. It doesn't mean things will always go well. So Solomon reveals to us in this text that circumstance cannot be trusted and your status in life should not be determined upon circumstance. Why? Because life is not fair. Because you can do everything right and it can still turn out bad. It can still turn out wrong. And you will notice that other people, never you, but other people can do everything wrong and it will turn out for their success. 
Why doesn't it happen for us? In fact, it does happen for us. But we just don't acknowledge that. We say, wow, I was smart when in fact you did the wrong thing, but God caused it to turn out right. And no one can pretend, uh, no one can uh, uh, predict how it will go. You know, chance happens to all of us. Chance and circumstance. You know, like the fish that gets caught in the, the net or the bird that gets caught in a snare. The best that you can do in life is be wise. So as we uh, understand this nature of the human condition and we want to establish strong relationships, we should know that strong relationships, wise relationships are built on candor. You know, an honest assessment of who I am, not a denial of the truth about my life. I'm okay with what's happened in my past, even if not all of it is pretty. And candor like that requires self-acceptance. Notice I didn't say it requires self-love. I'm not a big fan of people who say you have to love yourself before you can love others. You know, people who love themselves get to be arrogant, get to be proud, uh, get to be in denial of the reality of their own life. They're narcissistic. You know, they think that they're God's gift to your relationship. You know, they're God's gift to your workplace. They're God's gift to the organization or to uh, your family. Self-acceptance is not self-love. It's not prideful. It's not arrogant. It does not deny and suppress that which is true. Self-acceptance accepts the reality, both the good and the bad, about life. Self-acceptance is not self-loathing either. I'm not saying, you know, focus all your attention on your shortcomings and on your shortfalls. You know, that's not self-acceptance either. You know, because when you examine yourself and when you, and, and, and when you want to be, yeah, absolutely brutally honest about who you are, uh, there's a problem in candor. It, it, it's, it reminds me of Jack Nicholson in the film of A Few Good Men. He says, you can't handle the truth. You know, you really can't handle the truth about yourself. I remember when I was growing up, we, uh, we were in a liturgical church and we followed the liturgies every week, week in and week out, and we have the Lord's Supper here today. And, and when we had the Lord's Supper in, in that church of my childhood, uh, the pastor would always take us through the, what was called the confessional exhortation. Now, I didn't intentionally sit down and memorize the confessional exhortation, but I went through it enough that I still remember it. And one line struck me even as a child. It said, but if we thus examine ourselves, if we're brutally honest about our life, we will find in that examination only sin and death from which we can in no wise set ourselves free. You know, if you're brutally honest about yourself, uh, it will not be a pretty picture. And then it goes on to say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you're brutally honest about yourself, there are some things that can depress you and can suppress you. And if you're not able to accept who you are, you won't be able to establish strong relationships outside of yourself. These three things that will keep you down are your guilt, your regrets, and your insecurity. What one of us hasn't made some mistakes? What one of us doesn't have a secret in our past? some shameful experience that we've encountered. Society tells us that half the women in America, it seems huge to me, but half the women in America have been sexually abused in their childhood. Wow. You know, that can work a number on your head. The shame from that, the sense that somehow I was responsible even though you weren't. What one of us, you know, hasn't gone through something that 
that we wish we hadn't done. You know, maybe there's an arrest record in your past and you're trying to keep that from being known by those people who love and respect you. Maybe there's a divorce in your past, and I don't know why that is, but uh, I I think it's more self-imposed than it is culturally imposed, but a lot of people believe that if you're divorced, you know, that's the unforgivable sin and you can't be uh, a strong Christian anymore. You can't assume a position of leadership. You're, You're lucky if they even let you come to church anymore. Man, please don't believe that lie. This is a place for sinners. But sometimes, you know, that just sticks with us. We feel shame. We feel guilt. We feel a sense of failure there. Maybe there's a, a, a job loss. Maybe there's several job losses, and we feel guilt and shame about somehow, you know, we didn't do right or, or uh, we've made a mistake there. Uh, maybe there's an addictive behavior. Maybe there's something you said in your past, and you feel ashamed about that, and you shouldn't have said that. You know, that hurt that person. Uh, I wish I could take it back, but I can't take it back. And that relationship has been foreverly altered. Or maybe there was something I should have said. You know, they were, they were begging for somebody to breathe some life into that situation. And I passed and I didn't say it. I just let it hang there. Maybe someone you hurt or maybe there's a, a business transaction in the past that, you know, that wasn't fair. And, and you still feel some guilt over that. Who doesn't have some guilt over their past? So if you do a self-examination, guilt can get in the way and keep you uh, from feeling accepted. Or maybe there's regrets. You know, not necessarily a, a sin that you committed, but something you didn't accomplish. Some education that you wish you had pursued. Something that you wish you could do over. A kindness that you wish you could have shown. An effort to help that you wish you would have offered, but the opportunity has passed. Maybe there's a, a time in your life where you wish you had been a better parent, you know, but you were so insecure about your work that you were so devoted to trying to prove yourself there that you can't go back and get those years when you weren't there for your kids, and now you see the results. Maybe you wanted to be a more faithful husband or a more attentive wife, and you have regrets because you weren't what was needed at the day it was needed. So there's guilt, there's regrets, there's insecurities. You know, I'm not... Uh, as capable as others who do my job. I have to work harder, and, and that thought never leaves me. I'm not attractive enough. Women suffer with that more than men, I think. Or I didn't get the education, and, and so I'm not qualified, able to speak into this situation at work because I don't have the education of these MBAs that are here. I don't have the social graces, or, or even as Christians, I don't have the knowledge of the Bible. I remember years ago, and that person may even be in the room now. He was on one of our boards, in fact, a board of directors, I believe. And, and uh, I noticed that he was never involved in any small group or any Bible uh, study. And, and in a private conversation, I encouraged that one time. And he says, oh, man, I, w- I would be like a fish out of water in Bible study. And I said, well, why? And he goes, because I don't know anything about the Bible. I thought, well, let me, let me say that back to you. You don't want to go to Bible study because you don't know anything about the Bible. Isn't that what Bible study is for? it's interesting to me that even though we're adults, we sometimes act like kids. You know, it's like the first grader who doesn't want to school, go to school, and you say, well, why? And they say, because I don't know how to read and write. You say, well, isn't that what school is for, that you would learn to read and write? But these insecurities could keep us from extending ourselves in life because we feel that we're not capable, we're not qualified. And so it's time to be honest, and yet honesty is not enough. You know, honesty, if we're brutally honest, uh, can be hurtful. Somebody said if you talk to others the way you talk to yourself, you would have no friends at all. You know, we're so negative in our assessment of ourselves. Uh, A definition or a description of one lady was she lacks confidence, 
She craves admiration insatiably. She lives on a reflection of herself in the eyes of others. <laughs> she can't dare to be herself. Mark Twain said, the worst kind of loneliness is to not be comfortable with who you are, not be comfortable with yourself. Honest assessment is important, but honesty alone is not enough. There has to be honesty and there has to be a full appropriation of God's grace in your life. It's so essential. Jesus makes the honesty possible. The honesty is essential, but not without grace. It will only destroy. Jesus makes self-acceptance possible. I love this scripture, and if you don't hear anything else I'm saying and you're busy making a grocery list, pay attention now. Romans chapter 5. You see at just the right time, when you were worthless, <laughs> when you weren't worthy, when you were powerless, not when you were worthy, not when you were uh, achieving anything, but when you weren't, Christ died for you. He died for you precisely because you weren't worthy. Very rarely would anyone die for a good person. Though for a good person, you know, for my wife and for my child and for a friend or even for an innocent in a holdup, I might throw myself into harm's way. For a good person, you might risk death. But God demonstrated his love for you in an unusual way. While you were still worthless, while you were unworthy, Christ died for you. If you have a problem with self-acceptance, this is a passage you need to spend some time with. Christ didn't die for you because of your potential to be worthy. He didn't die for you because uh, you have proven yourself uh, to have, you know, some quality that he admired. He died for you precisely because if he hadn't, you would have been lost. On Facebook, I, I put this quote out there by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross because I, I think, as I said at the beginning of this message in my prayer, I think this is a really important and viable lesson for all of us, that life should not be measured by our status, and we should not measure our value based on our circumstance because, as Solomon said, circumstance cannot be trusted. It must be measured on God's acceptance of us and our understanding of his great and unconditional love for us. And our value comes from what he did for us, not for what we do for him or what we're able to accomplish in life. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said it this way, and although um, if you don't know her, she's the one who wrote uh, uh, the book about death and dying, you know, the five stages of grief or the five stages of death until you finally get to acceptance when you hear this terminal diagnosis. It's, it's a watershed book on the understanding of the process that we go through spiritually, mentally, and physically in accepting our own ultimate death. Uh, you know, just a, a very powerful and well-known book. Uh, Elizabeth Cooper Ross herself was Jewish. And I thought, how could she possibly know this to be true? But then I realized, hey, Jewish people know about grace. You know, grace isn't something that's only reserved for the New Testament. It's not only reserved for the Christian. You know, people who understand the Old Testament understand grace. I mean, it's an Old Testament passage that says, if you, O Lord, kept track of sin, who could stand before you? But there is forgiveness with you, therefore you are honored. So even if she was a, an Old Testament Christian, an Old Testament person who hoped for the Messiah, and she has hopefully by now accepted Jesus as her Messiah, I pray that she has. But even if she didn't, she still understood the need for grace and that outside of, uh, th that her own uh, abilities were not enough 
to make her secure. She said, people are like stained glass. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out. But when darkness falls, their true beauty is revealed only if there is light from within. Isn't that powerful? Let me read that again. People are like stained glass. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out. Who does it? Everybody does. Man, you know, when I'm in the spotlight and things are going well for me, yeah, ask me anything. But when darkness falls, their true beauty is revealed only when there is light from within. There's nothing more beautiful than walking by a a church that has beautiful stained glass that's lit from within. Uh, A few weeks ago, we went to the Leadership Summit. It was over at Bonham Presbyterian Church. Now, they have a nice, new, and and spacious contemporary worship center. but I'm curious, and, and I go in places that are restricted, and, and uh, there was uh, uh, their old sanctuary that I wanted to see. And, and so I found my way over there, and man, it was like a museum of the 1950s, and it was just like, oh, it was like kind of sweet to walk in there and see that, that building, the way people used to worship and the, the way things used to be, and they've maintained it almost as a museum. I think they have traditional services in there. But the gorgeous stained glass windows, and I wonder how great they would look, how they glow so invitingly, uh, almost more beautiful from the outside when light is on inside uh, than when uh, you're sitting inside and the, and the sun is shining through them, which can be somewhat uh, of a glare. And that's true for Christians too. And believe me, there will be dark times. You know, who doesn't have dark times? I say life is hard even when it's good, and life isn't good most of the time. You know, we all have hard times. But when you have Christ inside, when you know that your value is not in your achievement, not in your success, but rather in his love for you, therein lies your value, then you have light to shine into other people's dark world too. And they're attracted to you despite the honesty of your failure, your flaw, your guilt, your shame, and your insecurities. Amy Bloom said, You are imperfect, permanently, and inevitably flawed. And you are beautiful. I like that. Yeah, that's the reality. There's nothing much good in me, and yet I'm beautiful because God made me beautiful. And he's given me a hope and a future and a confidence about life. He doesn't hold those things against me. Why should I hold them against myself? If God has forgotten them, if God has buried them into the depths of the sea, if God has blotted them out, and if he remembers them no more, why do I? still remember them. Why do I let my life be defined by things that he has forgotten, forgiven, and buried into the depths of the sea? Your status and your well-being as a child of God is not based on circumstance because you cannot control circumstance. Solomon said it very well. You can do all the right things and you can suffer loss. Some people will do wrong things and they will suffer success and it will agitate you. You are like a fish that gets caught in a net. You are like a bird that gets caught in a snare. Life happens when you least expect it. Do not let circumstance determine who you are. Let God's love determine who you are. And if you do this, then you will be like Peter, one of the great disciples of Christ. Upon this rock I will build my church. And yet in the upper room, Jesus predicted... Peter, before the night is over, you are going to deny me three times. Peter said, I know John would do that. John is so weak. He's such a pansy, Jesus. I know he would do that. And and, uh, Matthew, you know, he's a tax collector. It's all about money for him. But not me, Jesus. I will die rather than deny you. That's what he said. Jesus said, no, no, you're going to deny me. And he goes, and here's how you'll know it. A rooster's going to crow. 
And as soon as the rooster crows, you'll remember my words. And the rooster crowed, and he was filled with shame, wasn't he? But Jesus also said something else to him, and this is what you need to hear. He said, but when you recover, he said, you're going to deny me, and the rooster's going to crow, and you're going to remember. But when you recover, when you fully accept my forgiveness, and when you fully understand that I died because you're flawed, because you're failed, because you have regrets, because you have shame, because you have insecurities, when you remember all of that, and you remember that you're accepted and you're valuable because of what I've done for you, not what you've done for me, when you remember that, then strengthen your brethren. Those of you who have a past... It does not disqualify you for ministry. It does not disqualify you for importance in relationships, for being different and, and being a valued asset in the world. It qualifies you. When you have recovered from your failure, Peter, use your failure as a means to strengthen others who will also fail because they are just like you. Why do you think Jesus chose Paul to, to be the uh, premier spokesman for the New Testament? Paul who had put Christians to death. None of us have done that. He was guilty of people's death, even innocent Christian people. And, and that must have weighed on his life. But he said, in me was shown grace. So that if you could see grace in God's acceptance in my life, then how much more for you? You know, if you've been through divorce, I guarantee you that you will hear conversations about divorce more acutely, more sensitively than those of us who have not been divorced. Step into the situation. Don't be ashamed of that. Say, you know, I've been there. Don't do it publicly. You know, don't do it in an offensive way, but find time. You know, when you hear of somebody else who's got an arrest record or they've been involved in drugs or alcoholism, uh, some difficulty, it doesn't disqualify you because you've had those things in your life. It qualifies you. It gives you a special voice in their life because you know that that doesn't disqualify you from God's love and acceptance. It makes you even more powerful in the world to have a past. You know, when you have recovered, when you have remembered, it's not just the honesty about your past, it's also the grace and understanding that God has forgiven your past, that you have a voice and you have power. You can make a real difference in this world. You know, it's actually your flaws and your weaknesses that give you a stronger voice. That's the way it is with God. So I, I pray that if you've been ashamed of your past, that you can find peace with your past, knowing that Christ died precisely because you needed that. And that now when you hear others who are ashamed and and discouraged and depressed about their flaws, their failures, their shame, that you can step up and step in and make a difference for them. Now, in closing, let me just say a couple of things. Uh, Self-acceptance doesn't mean that you have to settle for less than you could do in life. You know, some people say, well, if God accepts me the way I am, then I don't need to, you know, work hard. I don't need to try to achieve anything in life because it won't make me more acceptable to God. That's not the point of the text. You should still press yourself. In fact, you can press yourself even more because you know these things can't hold you back. Because you are secure, because you are accepted, because you are forgiveness, you can, you can risk, you can extend yourself because you're not afraid that somebody might find out the truth about you. So what? Yeah, that's true. That shaped me. That gave me a special perspective. That gave me power to step up and step in because that's in my past. It's a part of who I am, but it's actually made me stronger, not weaker. So don't settle. Never settle for your condition of life simply because you're forgiven and acceptable to Christ. Self-acceptance in Christ does mean that you can have peace with yourself. And if you have peace with yourself, then you can extend yourself to others and you can make a difference in things that matter. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help me not to uh, try to hide or be ashamed of, uh, of my past, of mistakes, 
Help me not to be uh, focused on my insecurities, my inadequacies, but rather your acceptance of me so that these things would not be a barrier to my relationships, not be a barrier to my influence, but be a strength and, an, and actually an asset uh, to my importance in your world. I uh, thank you, Lord, for that kind of transformation, that kind of uh, affirmation that gives me purpose and gives me value. Lord, help us to, uh, to chew on that all week and, and to, uh, to not be ashamed of our past, but to know because of my past you died. And in your death, I have perfect acceptance and affirmation in Christ. Amen.